focus on headline. And let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio today, we have our reporters in Handan and Yoon Seung. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening to you guys. Just briefly, we had a message in from uh, Nyan T, all the way from uh, Singapore, who says, for a minute, I thought that white arm was a puppy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, referring... nice and fluffy, isn't it? <laughs> it's pretty cold today. And it, it was snowy, so I think this kind of matches mm. with the white snow. I was reading the headlines, and your hand was sticking out a little bit. <laughs> My apologies. Because uh, one of our DJs, uh, Isaac, uh, actually brings her uh, dog uh, yes. to the show time and time out. And so, no, I... I did not bring a puppy today. Uh, nevertheless, uh, we're going to start things off with our top story this evening. Uh, the top at uh, the top office, President Yoon uh, holding phone talks with the leaders of Germany and Denmark uh, to explain why he had to cancel his trip and uh, seek their understanding. Uh, Donnie, you're going to start us off with the top story. Right. President Yoon held phone talks with German President Frank Walter Steinmeier and Danish Prime Minister Mette Fredriksen. During the talks with the German leader, President Yoon explained that he postponed his visit to Germany for various reasons, uh, including the need to focus on domestic livelihood issues. President Steinmeier said he fully understands President Yoon's position and expressed sincere hopes to reschedule his visit to Germany at an appropriate time through consultations between the two countries. The two leaders also mentioned the newly released joint cybersecurity guidelines aimed at preventing damage from North Korea's growing cybersecurity threats. South Korea and Germany issue, jo, uh, issued joint cybersecurity guidelines this week, focusing on North Korea's cyber attacks in the defense industry. It details the North's attack strategies and techniques of two major defense industry hacking cases. The two leaders also agreed to continue to pursue joint projects and further boost ties, especially in the fields of security, advanced technology and cyberspace. Noting the two nations' friendship that lasted for more than 140 years, the two sides vowed to continue close communication. President Yoon also talked with Danish Prime Minister Mette Fredriksen over the phone to explain his decision to delay his visit to Denmark. Fredriksen also responded that she understood his situation and would welcome his visit to Denmark at any time. During the conversation, they reaffirmed their commitment to a comprehensive green strategic partnership between the two countries and agreed to push for cooperative projects in green growth and cutting-edge technologies. President Yoon was planning to visit the two European nations this week, but abruptly announced postponement just four days before for his scheduled departure. The top office did not give an official reason when uh, making the announcement, making the announcement, but uh, it's widely speculated that um, his prioritizing um, revamping people's livelihoods who are struggling from high inflation and uh, prolonged um, high interest rates, uh, and also the, as this huge medical chaos mm. looms with all the doctors resigning and leaving hospitals uh, in protest against government's expansion, and we'll have more uh, details on that in our uh, next stories. But yeah, certainly not 
a good time for President Yoon to travel overseas. Yeah, I do agree. I mean, there might be a number of reasons, I think, but uh, the main thing could be in regards to the, the collective action by the, uh, the the trainee doctors and the, the medical vacuum that it's causing. And of course, the government continuously making these uh, response measures, which, like you said, we'll be talking about in just a bit. And especially because uh, President Yoon has been at times, uh, heavily criticized for his uh, a lot of the the overall uh, the overseas trips that he had made uh, during his time, and so right now certainly doesn't seem like the right time. But of course, still uh, we can only speculate, and there is no official reason being uh, handed down by the top office. Uh, you have uh, Foreign Minister Cho Teyar departing for Rio de Janeiro over in Brazil on Tuesday uh, to attend the G20 Foreign Ministers meeting scheduled to take place uh, on the 21st local time. This marks his first uh, participation in a G20 meeting since taking office, uh, really sparking anticipation for various bilateral discussions with a diverse array of countries. I'd say, and let's get more on this. Sure. According to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs spokesperson, the two main themes of this G20 meeting are, first, the role of the G20 in addressing geopolitical conflicts, and second, global governance reform. South Korean Foreign Minister Cho Taeyeol is expected to urge G20 union on geopolitical issues concerning uh, Ukraine, the Middle East, and peace on the Korean Peninsula while outlining South Korea's contributions. Regarding discussions on global governance, the emphasis will be on the importance of multilateralism and strengthening key multilateral institutions. But above this, um, the heightened attention for Minister Cho's trip to Brazil is due to expectations of bilateral or uh, multilateral meetings with key participants, particularly a trilateral meeting between South Korea, the United States, and Japan. Given the ongoing missile provocations by North Korea and the deepening cooperation between North Korea and Russia, there is considerable anticipation for discussions among South Korea, the United States, and Japan. While some speculated the possibility of trilateral meetings among Seoul, Washington, and Tokyo, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs refrained from confirming such meetings, stating nothing has been decided yet. But since Cho's uh, Japanese counterpart is also attending the G20 meeting for the first time since taking office, uh, um, the bilateral meeting between them is likely. And we will talk about this uh, later on, but... um, uh, but especially considering the recent development in seeking dialogue between North Korea and Japan by solving the abduction issue. For South Korea, it is important for the three countries to reaffirm their coordinated approach towards North Korea. Yeah, it does seem like, at least because uh, Japan has, like you said, been kind of getting some positive remarks from North Korea, which is kind of odd, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they, I think they were saying that uh, initially started off with uh, Kim Jong-un sending a condolence letter uh, to Prime Minister Fumio Kishida, and it was very formal. Uh, we're not so used to that in regards to the, the earthquake earlier this year, and uh, I believe it was Kim Yajang who came out noting that uh, they are open for some kind of dialogue uh, between the two leaders. Uh, but I think Japan also following that came out saying that they're approaching this cautiously, which means that they're probably going to be consulting this with the United States and maybe South Korea because North Korea said we'll hold the talks as long as the abductee issue is not being raised. And that's not one of the topics that they want to discuss. But that's, of course, what Japan wants to talk about the most. Right. Uh, meanwhile, this is an interesting one. The foreign uh, ministry also mentioned the possibility of a meeting with the Russian foreign minister and especially with what's going on right now uh with north korea and russia closer ties uh this is going to be all the war in the spotlight tell us more about this 
Well, the spokesperson indeed provided a very vague response regarding the possibility of bilateral discussions with the Russian foreign minister. But if the meeting between two countries takes place, the conversation they have will garner much attention considering the current sour relations between Seoul and Moscow. All right, there you have it. We'll keep a close tab on this again. The foreign ministers meeting over in Rio de Janeiro is going to be taking place Wednesday local time. Uh, if we have more updates on this, I'm sure we'll cover this in tomorrow's program. Uh, in the meantime, the bereaved family of a Korean victim of Japan's wartime forced labor received uh, the compensation from Hitachi Chosen Corporation, uh, marking the first such acceptance by Korean victims from a liable Japanese firm. Now, I did... As we were reporting on this yesterday, we were saying that this is sort of good news, but not 100% because uh, the Japanese firm did not willingly compensate the victim's family here. The Korean government said it was a procedure taken in accordance with the legal rulings, but here's where it gets interesting. Japan strongly protesting it. I believe the corporation also uh, very much criticizing the decision as well. Tan, let's get the latest on this. Right. As expected, the response to the first ever acceptance of compensation from a Japanese company was starkly different between Seoul and Tokyo. And much attention is now being shifted to the two nations' relations that have just started to thaw. Seoul's foreign ministry, when asked about it, uh, didn't say much, just that it was part of procedures carried out in accordance with relevant laws and rulings. The ministry added it's continuing its talks with Japan on necessary areas. The 60 million won compensation withdrawn by the victim's family was the amount deposited by Hitachi Zosen as a kind of collateral when requesting a suspension of compulsory execution of compensation ordered by Seoul's top court. Uh, but there are no other Japanese firms who made such deposits, and this was an ex exceptional case. And so it appears that the South Korean government is not worried too much about its spillover effects. Uh, and also expects a limited impact on Seoul-Tokyo relations. But nevertheless, much attention is now being drawn to whether the topic will be raised uh, if foreign ministers of the two countries meet on the sidelines of the G20 summit. Um, we don't know for sure yet if the meeting will be materialized, mm -hmm. but um, all attention uh, is surely focused on whether they'll touch upon this topic. And the government remains firm on its stance to seek a third-party compensation for the victims. On the other hand, the Japanese government said the compensation withdrawal is deeply regrettable, saying it violates Seoul-Tokyo diplomatic agreement signed in 1965 and unfairly causes disadvantages to Japanese firms. It reaffirmed that the payout violates a key part of the 1965 treaty, which it claims has completely resolved claims issues between the two countries and their citizens. It also called on the Korean government to stick to its third-party compensation solution announced in March last year. A spokesperson for Hitachi Zosen echoed the Japanese government's claims, saying it was extremely regrettable that the court released the money to the family. And today, the Japanese government summoned South Korean ambassador to Tokyo, Yoon Dong-min, to lodge a complaint. According to Japan's chief cabinet secretary, Yoshimasa Hayashi, Deputy Foreign Minister Masataka Okano 
protested to Ambassador Yun, saying the payout is extremely regrettable and it brings disadvantages to Japanese companies. Again, uh, when we're talking about this, uh, it was sort of a positive news, but at the same time, not really, not 100%, right? What would have made it even better was if finally, after all these years, a Japanese firm actually does come out and said what we did was wrong and we owe these uh, victims uh, money and we are going to willingly compensate uh, the victims here. But again, because this is not a compensation that was willingly done by the firm, it's kind of it's good and it's not really right but uh, we'll see how again uh, this is if this is going to impact the bilateral relations between seoul and tokyo here uh moving on the u.s government reaffirmed its support for the message from kim Yo-jung, uh, who of course is the vice department director of north korea's workers party and also kim jong-un's younger sister regarding the improvement of relations with japan uh, the u.s is stating that it'll continue to pursue complete denuclearization of the korean peninsula uh, while expressing readiness to engage in diplomatic contacts if North Korea desires, and we know for sure right now, North Korea does not want anything to do with any kind of d- discussions with uh, Washington just yet. Seung, let's get more on this. Yes, like Astray said, attempts at dialogue and improvement of relations between North Korea and Japan are something we could not expect. So far, South Korea, the United States, and Japan have designated North Korea as a common adversary and emphasized the security cooperation between three countries. However, recently, Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida expressed willingness to pursue a summit with North Korea to resolve the issue regarding abductions of Japanese citizens by North Korea, and on February 15th, Kim Jong-un's powerful sister Kim Yo-jong conveyed the possibility of Prime Minister Kishida's visit to Pyongyang and a summit between North Korea and Japan under the circumstances that Japan does not obstruct North Korea's nuclear and missile development or the issue of abductions. Regarding these developments, Washington responded that it would welcome such dialogue if it contributes to regional stability. U.S. State Department spokesperson Matt Miller also acknowledged that the dialogue opening up between North Korea and Japan as Japan drops its demands for denuclearization and the abduction issue is a pretty big if. Nevertheless, by affirming the policy of pursuing complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula while supporting any kind of diplomacy and dialogue with North Korea, the United States signaled that denuclearization efforts do not mean uh, diplomatic isolation from North Korea. Now, such the movement puts South Korea in a difficult position. The trilateral cooperation among the United States, South Korea, and Japan is a crucial part of UN administration's security strategy. And to maintain this, South Korea even gave up on taking a strong stance on uncomfortable issues with Japan, such as historical issues or the discharge of contaminated water. But uh, there are concerns that if Japan and the United States initiate contact with North Korea and open the door to dialogue first, South Korea may lose its role in addressing Korean Peninsula issues. So there's so much question marks in regards to this, mm-hmm. right? I think it was really surprising. Again, this all started off with that letter, the letter of condolence letter from uh, uh, Kim Jong-un to Fumio Kishida uh, when the Noto prefecture had that massive earthquake at, at the start of the year. And why this letter was sent, uh, especially concerning the fact that they were very upset at the fact that there was this trilateral cooperation and it's becoming a trilateral military cooperation, which North Korea has condemned. And so some of the experts were saying, well, North Korea 
is not going to try to strike a dialogue with the United States. They're not going to try to talk with uh, South Korea right now. So the easiest kind of route is Japan, right? And so it, they're trying to break up this trilateral uh, alliance by trying to get closer to Japan. But it's not going to work because, again, the only reason why and, and many uh, previous prime ministers uh, in Japan have mentioned this, but the only thing that they want to talk about is the abducting, abduction issue. And that's the one thing that North Korea does not want to talk about. And even when we had the inter-Korean talks uh, some years ago, the U.S. was very much involved with that. And they were making sure what kind of discussions were being made there. And the U.S. is probably going to go, you need to go there and talk about denuclearization stuff. You got to tell them, stop with the provocations, stop uh, testing, uh, stop uh, developing nuclear weapons and so forth. And North Korea is not going to hear this, right? And so you kind of have to wonder what direction North Korea wants to go at, what they actually you want to discuss because it's clear what Japan wants to discuss and that's not something North Korea wants to talk about right uh, a financial act we're getting an update on something we talked about last year here financial act is threatening South Korea's weapons export to Poland worth over 30 trillion one uh, we talked about how Poland has been very keen on bringing in a lot of uh, South Korea's weapons a revision bill is actually stuck at the National Assembly, which is compulsory for South Korea to conclude its massive arms deal uh, with the European country. Tan, uh, explain to us further on this uh, particular bill that uh, we uh, visited uh, in the past. So the import-export banking law is the key issue here, and it needs to be promptly revised in order for the multi-trillion won arms deal with Poland to be successfully concluded. The government is seeking to expand the banking law to raise the limit of lending from the current 15 trillion one to 25 uh, to 50 trillion one. But the bill sits dormant at the National Assembly without even a uh, proper discussion about it. Korea inked an initial comprehensive arms export agreement with Poland worth 17 trillion won for tanks, howitzers, and fighter jets in 2022. Under the current law, the Export Import Bank of Korea, or the Exim Bank, cannot lend more than 40% of its roughly 15 trillion won of equity capital, or about 6 trillion won to a single borrower. But the state bank already provided about six trillion one in credit during the first phase of the deal with Poland. So the lending has already reached over 98% of its loan support limit. The Polish government is requesting over 20 trillion one in capital support for the secondary deal uh, worth 30 trillion one. But the Exim Bank cannot extend the credit as it has nearly reached its legal cap as stipulated by law. So a revision to raise the limit is urgent, and the revision bill needs to be passed during this month's parliamentary, uh, this during the plenary session that opens next week to conclude the deal. If not the massive arms deal, a key part of South Korea's uh, plan to become the world's fourth largest defense exporter by 2027 will likely fall through because there are no extraordinary sessions uh, until uh, May. There will be no extraordinary sessions in March or April in the run-up to the general elections. Right. Poland says it would like to continue the contract, but it needs 
financial support. And many here in Korea point out that if the bill doesn't sail through, then it would send out a negative message to other countries that Korea is very uncooperative in financial support, which could hamper further weapons exports. The government and the ruling party strongly called for bipartisan support, but we'll have to see if the main opposition party that that controls the parliament will be supportive of it. Yeah, so the initial problem was with this and why the loan uh, is very, very crucial in making this deal happen is because over in Poland, uh, I believe it was sometime towards the end of last year, uh, the parliament over there flipped. A new party came into power. And once the new party came in, they said, listen, Poland right now, financially, we're not stable. We're not doing very well right now. And we need to start cutting cutting budgets. We need to cut the budget for defense stuff. And this deal that you have with South Korea, I don't think it fits into the budget is what the new ruling party had said. And so they said there was a lot of threats of basically even canceling this contract, saying that, listen, we might need to get a cheaper weapon, although South Korea... <clears throat> excuse me, a lot cheaper than, let's say, U.S.-made or German-made or French-made uh, weapons, we still can't afford this. And so we might have to either cancel this contract or produce it domestically so that it'll be a lot cheaper. And so the other option was then getting this loan. And if this basically bill doesn't pass, then everything falls through here. Uh, again, crucial, crucial, as South Korea uh, is trying to make another uh, major exporting sector there with the, the, the weapon system there. We'll have to see what happens. In the meantime, uh, we are now less than 50 days away until the April general elections. Uh, there's going to be a number of campaigning going on, campaign pledges left and right. Uh, we've certainly seen certain policies in regards to the, uh, the low birth rate. Uh, one of the first that came out uh, was the incorporation of Kimpo into Seoul, which sparked some controversy. Uh, the main opposition Democratic Party, obviously not a big fan of this. It was the hot potato here in the nation. It's kind of died out out of nowhere, right? Uh, we went from talking about this for like a week and then, you know, it was kind of, uh, you know, in the shadows somewhere. Uh, Yoon Jae-ok, who is the PPP floor leader uh, on Wednesday, brought up the issue again. Uh, so, Seung, tell us what he had to say. When spring comes, when the magnolia blooms, Kimpo could become Seoul. This is what PPP chairman Han Dong-un had previously promised during his visit to Kimpo. It's beautiful. Uh, although it's, it's poetic, right? Although it's pretty cold and even healing today, in just over a week, it will be March, meaning spring is just around the corner. But can Kimpo really become Seoul when spring comes? I'm not sure about that. And at a time when many people are questioning the legitimacy and necessity of Kimpo's incorporation into Seoul, Yoon Jae-ok, the floor leader of the People Power Party, announced on Wednesday it is time to push for administrative district restructuring in Seoul and Gyeonggi-do province where Kimpo belongs to. He expressed plans to promote the incorporation of neighboring cities like Kimpo and Kuri into Seoul and divide northern Gyeonggi-do province. For example, as a part of such movement, he stated that the government and ruling party would launch GTX project to alleviate commuting difficulties faced by metropolitan residents. He particularly emphasized we will prioritize the congestion relief measures for Kimpo Gold Line first, also dubbed Chiyokchal, meaning hell line, hell train. That's right, and which is why uh, the argument that was pushed forth by the main opposition party is if you're going to try to alleviate the uh, traffic conditions and the public transportation issue, 
then work on extending the five line more than just incorporation of Kimpo into Seoul. But the floor leader also expressed his stance on the various regulatory relaxations. Uh, what do you suggest? Yun stated that PPP would exempt inheritance taxes for small and medium-sized enterprises, uh, relocating to local opportunity development zones, citing it as a measure to address the crisis of local extinctions. Further, Yun stated that to boost economic growth, the People's Power Party will boldly implement regulatory reforms more than any other parliament in history during the 22nd National Assembly by establishing the called Regulatory Zero Box System. This includes the determination to abolish various land regulations such as development restriction zones, military protection zones, and agricultural land regulations if they hinder economic development. He then addressed the Serious Accidents Punishment Act and the Special Act on the Itaewon Tragedy. He said if the Democratic Party ultimately refuses to negotiate the SAPA, uh, the People Power Party will revise it independently after PPP wins the general election. He also stated that the special act on the Itaewon tragedy needs to be readjusted to form a special investigation committee in a fair and neutral direction. So now with about 49 days left until the general election, it appears that the People Power Party has clearly revealed its policy direction and principle to its supporters and other voters. Yeah, there also Han Dong-un is very strategic in uh, targeting certain areas. Uh, the other area that uh, he targeted was uh, Suwon. Uh, one of the things that he mentioned was that he wanted to put all the subways in Suwon underground, right? And so buried underground and uh, put that area uh, for other uses, Kimpo. Suwon, Kimpo, all these areas are basically, I believe they're uh, majority Democratic Party lawmakers uh, in that area. There's a uh, high uh, DP voters in that side. And so, again, uh, targeting those specific areas, again, is going to be very important for the PPP, hence these campaign pledges. Uh, the National Assembly Standing Committee on Land and Transport has passed a bill on easing real estate regulations, uh, aiming to lessen the financial burden on citizens struggling from high interest rates and high inflation. Uh, Tan, tell us what this is all about. Right. The Land and Transport Committee at the National Assembly passed the bill that delays the obligation to live in an apartment for three years for those with a price cap for, the, for apartments with a price cap. The revised Housing Act will delay the mandatory start of actual living from the day of moving in to within three years of moving in. Member of the committee Kim Jong-jae told reporters that many home buyers find it difficult to move in, move right in after their purchase for various reasons. And so lawmakers decided to extend the three-year mercy period. He added that the revision is aimed at helping citizens weather the economically turbulent times amid persisting high interest rates and high inflation. In addition, the ruling and opposition parties also passed an amendment to the Construction Act, which aims to reduce the rate of enforcement fines imposed on illegal buildings from the current 50% to 75%. The committee plans to bring the bill to the plenary session set for next Thursday. Uh, but it's a bumpy road ahead as the proposed bill to remove apartment residency requirements on apartments with the price cap has been blocked by the Democrats due to concerns about real estate speculation using price caps 
potentially affecting 40,000 prospective residents. Yeah, so what used to happen is uh, a number of people would uh, take out loans and they would own a number of homes, right? And uh, basically they would not purchase these homes to live on their own. Instead, what they would do is uh, either uh, if they can't find any buyers, they'll uh, give it out on chanze and uh, kind of hold it off on that and try to sell it because the, the idea that this area is a pretty good area for real estate, the price uh, jumps and then uh, they'll sell it and they'll you know get the difference and they'll keep doing this over and over again. And we talked about the whole idea of real estate being a speculative thing, an investment thing. And this is one of the main reasons why uh, the DP says is why there is such high real estate prices, which I I, you know, they're not 100% wrong on this one. They're, you know, partially correct on this one, right? Uh, speculations on real estate. But uh, this is uh, going to be quite interesting how this is going to impact then the prices of the homes if you start easing the regulations. Uh, also, the Democratic Reform Progressive Alliance, a pan-opposition satellite party promoted by the uh, main opposition Democratic Party, the Progressive Party, and the New Progressive Coalition. Uh, they're set to launch on March 3rd. Seong, tell us more about this. The Democratic Reform Progressive Alliance, or Sejimbo Yonhab, a satellite party representing a broad spectrum of the political landscape, is set to be established on March 3rd. A jointly pursued by the Democratic Party of Korea, the Progressive Party, and the New Progressive Coalition. Each participating party has agreed to conduct primaries if there are uh, contested candidates for regional constituencies, and they have also determined the allocation of proportional representation candidates candidates for each party. The most notable aspect of this coming general election was the confirmation of the electoral system. And the Democratic Party previously announced its decision to maintain the current semi-mixed member proportional electoral system, ensuring that this general election will proceed in the same manner as agreed upon by both parties four years ago. And this announcement has sparked increased interest in satellite parties. And on Wednesday, Park Kong-gun, head of the Democratic Union Promotion Committee, Yoon Hee-suk, Standing Election Strategy Committee member of the Progressive Party and Yong Hae-in, Standing Election Strategy Committee member of the New Progressive Coalition, met at the National Assembly to discuss and consolidate their opinions. The Democratic Party and the Progressive Party have agreed to unify candidates through opinion polls in all constituencies where Progressive Party candidates are running nationwide. But Honam Reason, that is the main, um, which is the main stronghold of DP and and Gyeongbuk region, a main stronghold of PPP, and Ulsan Bukgu, Buk district in Ulsan, where Lee sang Hon, a member of the Progressive Party, has been nominated already, will be exceptions. In the meantime, critics argue that the establishment of satellite parties by major parties, which is motivated by the potential loss of votes if they do not form such parties, undermines the essence of electoral reform aimed at giving more opportunities to smaller parties that have difficulty securing seats in regional constituencies. Yeah, this is why there was a controversy with the semi-linked uh, proportional system that they're talking about because initially it was the parallel system where uh, the like the minor parties like the Justice Party, which is now called the Green Justice Party, they were able to get the proportional seats, uh, but uh, it's no longer the case. And because of the change of this, uh, you had, uh, I believe, the Justice Party in the last general election, I don't know how many seats they were able to get, but they got barely any. 
uh, was what it was. But in the initial, the uh, I guess uh, the system beforehand, uh, they were actually able to get a whole bunch of them, and so that's the big changes here. And uh, the argument that the deep, uh, sorry, the, the PPP was making is basically this is the way that the DP is going to try to uh, garner more votes, uh, try to get more seats in the National Assembly by creating these satellite uh, parties, as we're seeing here. Uh, we're going to be talking about an issue that has been ongoing for a few weeks now, but uh, really took into uh, next gear, uh, starting this week, trainee doctors. Uh, we've had uh, a large number of them uh, having handed in their resignation letters, uh, leaving hospitals, demanding that the government scrap its plan to expand medical school student quota. They're arguing that the government's return to work order is a violation of basic rights. Uh, Don, what's the latest on this? Right. The Korean Intern Resident Association issued a statement on Tuesday calling on the government to scrap the expansion plan, slamming the government's medical reform package. It asserted that the package is full of policies that strain high-quality medical services. The policies include the government's plan to reform medical payment system, which doctors claim will only increase the burden on patients, and a policy that prohibits interoperation of mixed uh, interoperation of medical fields not covered by insurance. They also cited introduction of separate licenses, allowing medical consultations and opening clinics uh, as policies that hurt medical service quality. Doctors and medical student groups uh, have long argued that there are already sufficient physicians uh, and an increase in numbers could lead to unnecessary medical procedures and undermine the finances of the National Health Insurance Plan. Calling the uh, plan to add 2,000 more doctors each year absurd, the association argued that the government hastily announced medical reform ahead of general elections to win more votes. It also criticized the government for treating trainee doctors as criminals by overusing extrajudicial executive orders. Labeling the government's reform plan an undemocratic oppression on doctors, they called for a complete withdrawal of the expansion and a formal apology. They also asked for a creation of an organization dedicated to specific estimation, uh, scientific rather, estimation of the supply and demand of doctors, expansion of recruitment of specialists in training hospitals, specific measures against uncontrollable medical accidents, as well as improvement of intern and resident training environment. The association held marathon discussions on Tuesday with some 100 representatives of trainee doctors before releasing a statement. Uh, but it didn't disclose details on, uh, on its next step or when their collective action would end. It's... Uh you know, both sides are coming strong with this one. I, I believe uh, the emergency response committee from the uh, the KMA uh, came out saying that basically, listen, I mean, we understand the, the people's lives, precious, uh, but the rights of the doctors and their freedom to work wherever they want, uh, when they want, is also very important as well. And they uh, criticize what the government's going is, I believe uh, the military manpower administration also issued a uh, do not travel abroad issue for the, the trainee doctors. Basically, you, you can't leave the country, right? And you can't have any excuse. You can't run away from this. 
uh, and uh, continue, and the, the health ministry continue to send in all these uh, work back to work orders, which again, uh, and oh, I believe uh, they've also handed in an official order saying that any donation uh, to the KMA for the legal expenses that could potentially be incurred uh, for their collective action can be will be halted they're saying it's an illegal donation uh event so to speak and so they're really coming hard at this one we're looking at nearly nine thousand trainee doctors that have submitted uh, resignation letters opposing the government's plan here uh you also have a large number of increasing number of medical school students also uh, filing for uh, absence of uh, leave of absence Seung, uh, let's get the latest uh, figures when it comes to this uh, collective action. Sure. The Ministry of Health and Welfare announced on Wednesday that according to the latest update as of 10 p.m. on the previous day, 8,816 trainee doctors, known as resident doctors, accounting for 71.2% of total, have submitted resignation letters throughout top 100 training hospitals nationwide. Approximately 95% of the total of 13,000 junior doctors nationwide are working at this key 100 training hospitals. And of course, the doctor strike led to vacuum in medical services on Tuesday. For example, among the five major hospitals in Seoul, seven hospitals so surgeries dropped to less than half of the usual volume. That's right. Again, we'll keep a close tab on this. Unfortunately, we are out of time for now. Guys, thank you very much for your updates on the latest news. Have a safe one, and we'll see you guys again. Thank, thank you. you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.